Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. Happy New Year, folks. Hope you've taken to 2024 like a duck to water. So how can the arts be made more fair and equitable? And how does being an artist and curator make you a different kind of leader? Our guest this week, Paula Oral, answers these questions and reveals how and why she's passionately advocating for the arts to government ministers. Paula is the director of the Contemporary Visual Arts Network England and the lead for the Contemporary Visual Arts Network Southwest. She's also the co-chair of the Coventry Biennial and volunteers for Creative Youth Network in Bristol. Stay with us to hear Paula's brilliant tools for working with dyslexia, resources for community building and her key recommendations to all of us creatives. So welcome, Paula, to Extraordinary Creatives. It's so brilliant to have you with us and to start the year 2024 together. It's so exciting to be uh, with you. Where are you in the world? And could you introduce yourself to us? Yes, I can, Kerry. Thank you ever so much for having me. I'm actually in Coventry Biannual's office today where um, I'm the co-chair of Coventry Biannual. I've been with them for about three years now. So this is the second edition that I've seen through um, as a chair. So I'm in I'm in our office. It would, I think, hopefully my colleagues have given me an, an hour and a half to, to do this with you. But Kerry, I want to say thank you so much because it, it, it really is an honour to work with you on this. And I know so many of my colleagues who really do admire what you do in your approach. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's just been really wonderful to listen to all of the other incredible people that you've been talking to and listen to their lives and their experiences and actually you know, a lot of similarities between um, many of them, in fact, um, and perhaps some myself as well. Yeah. So thank Thanks you. Thanks so much, Paula. So for our international li- visitors and listeners, um, mm. Coventry is, uh, perhaps you could describe where is Coventry and what would you say are its uh, features that you've come to know and love? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Where's Coventry? <laughs> Ryan Hughes, our director of Coventry Biennial, be like, mm, yes, so many people know where Coventry is. Uh, so Coventry is in um, the Midlands, in the middle of England. Um, it's near Birmingham. It's very much really in the bang central kind of middle of the country. Um, and it is really known for... Um, it's history, I think, in um, industry and I suppose one of those sort of post-World War kind of cities that was really not thought about much and really not thought about much at all until they got the UK City of Culture, which was um, during the pandemic in uh, 2021. And the biannual itself is um, an amazing kind of idea and concept by an artist and now curator Ryan Hughes. And I suppose my interest in being on the board of Coventry Biennial is that we have really similar approaches as um, him being an artist and curator. And that's the kind of creative curatorial practice where I come from. Um, I'd actually, I'd never been to Coventry before. Interesting. (laughs) And I think it was one of the first places I went to 
when we were kind of opening back up um, during the first um, lockdown. And um, we had this amazing board who are really incredibly passionate and diverse in experience and um, backgrounds. And we were really committed as volunteers to kind of really finding a way forward for this unique kind of artist-led um, biennial, which sits a part of the contemporary art kind of um, biennial practice in this country, but also um sits sits outside it slightly it's not a very it's not very formal in the way that it kind of approaches curating from that theoretical um background it's very much about looking at work looking at artists bringing artists into the conversation around the theme that they're they're working with and also kind of really having the lens of kind of that bird's eye view of the lens of being in and of the place as well. And that's sort of my interest in curating is where exhibition making transcends into kind of, it looks at the history or the sociology of, of a place as well. And that's my real interest in, in Ryan's approach to curating. And it looks very much at uh, obviously a diverse kind of practice, but artists who are from this place and the region, but also nationally and internationally. So it it can do a really great 360 kind of lens of, of, of what is happening in contemporary art practice at this moment in time as well. So my role is to sometime herd cats, <laughs> as you do as a chair, kind of chivvy them along, um, make sure, no, my real my role is really to, they would laugh when I say that because that's sometimes what we are uh, like in the board and we do have a, have a all have a great relationship. Um, my role with um, our co-chair, Lara Rachanara as well, who is a brilliant kind of, um, uh, just sort of, I suppose, a cultural sort of, she sort of works in development and also kind of sort of that infrastructure development and placemaking. Um, and Laura's from this region as well. So our role is really to um, ensure that we are moving the organisation along. We're working collectively and collaboratively as a board and we create a structure from where all the board members feel like they can work from and within the team and enable, enable the organisation to really start to be able to flourish, which is um really what Lara and my job is about now is finding a way to be able to enable our colleagues to thrive because often enough on boards you're always about sustainability and how you sustain things um which for me is not where I want us to be in our contemporary art practice and how we produce organizations now I want our individuals to be able to thrive so they feel really really enabled to do their work in a in a way that is really progressive and and healthy really um is that a pro bono role it is it's free it's voluntary we're all voluntary um and we're looking for artists now we would really appreciate anyone who wants to come part of a board particularly global ethnic majority um artists as well we really um we're a really diverse board and we really want to kind of bring it 
you know many many experiences into our conversation it's so so important brilliant well you heard it here first um artists get in touch (laughs) um I think that's fantastic as you know um putting artists at the heart of everything you do I think is uh something that has been clear throughout your whole entire career Paula so besides the pro bono work that you do for for the board could you tell us a little bit more about what else you do Uh, So I am the director of a national network for contemporary art and um, I work very closely with um, Sarah Monroe, who's the director of the Baltic um, Centre for Contemporary Art in in Newcastle and Gateshead, so in the north of England. They're our our main partnership with the programme and also um, the director of New Art Exchange in Nottingham, um, Sada Dean said, and they're there are two people that I work really incredibly closely with on this national network that is about um, support for the contemporary visual arts sector. So we provide development programs for individuals and organisations and and really kind of place the sort of um, thinking about fair and equitable practice within our um within our approach and our and our aims of really kind of trying to um unpack that for the sector and what that really means and we can probably talk a bit more about that later on because yeah. that sort of links to my sort of ethics about how i you know how i how i am as a curator and and how you know i have kind of in a way developed my practice as somebody who's really interested in socially engaged practice as well mm-hmm. um and also I'm um the contemporary visual arts network at the national level so I I'm responsible for our lobbying and advocacy work um so we have nine regions across the country from Cornwall to Cumbria so the breadth of England and we're just part of that island we are the island of England um, as known as now, um, post Brexit, um, the and we are we essentially we have a director and a manager for each of those regions, and they are very much based in and involved with their communities, the visual arts communities in their region. So they're really interconnected, mm-hmm. um, and we gather together, and they have a chair of each of their steering group and region, and they kind of bring individuals. Um, together to really understand what is happening in their sector. So I became the national director of the Contemporary Visual Arts Network um, during the beginning of the pandemic. And um, the reason I under, I I took the role was because I could see that there was not this advocacy and development work happening in our sector. So really kind of talking to ministers and um, policymakers about the value of the visual arts. So for me, my job as the the national director is about trying to find a way to reimagine the the value of the visual arts, the public value of the visual arts. Could you give us an example of how you visualise that taking place? Yeah, yeah. So we, we very much represent the public kind of practice. So... Um, not the commercial sector. Um, it is it is really much focused on sort of, you know, the public kind of facing aspect. What I what I imagine, re, what does reimagining mean? It 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 means it means understanding the value of how we work and how we 
approach um, the world and society and the value of artists in you know very much at the center of that conversation and and listening to artists in a way that we you know that we need to now is you know have a deeper listening practice with artists in the work and to represent them um and that value being kind of then really considered through to policymakers to government officials to ministers to you know to really understand that the you know, contemporary art practice is a part of an, an economy. It's part of the communities that it serves and its local audiences. Even if you might not, you know, go to your local contemporary art gallery, it's still serving a purpose. It's there. And, you know, for me, when we started the pandemic, there was this vis- visibility of theatre and music very much out there vocally advocating for um, their role and they were really coming together and gathering with their sector and their industries um, and we weren't and we saw that as as a network so for me it was really taking on this agenda to to bring attention to a greater understanding of what the visual arts is and what it's for. Who's the primary audience for your work then? Yeah so the sector itself so the listeners here who live in this country um, and also our stakeholders, which are MPs, Secretary of State, Ministers of Culture, sometimes the Treasury, and the Treasury is often a kind of stakeholder in our work where we have to pursue the conversation around tax reliefs, cultural tax reliefs. Part of my job is to kind of take the agenda to Treasury to ensure that that continues Um and to do it with other other sectors like museum sector as well. Mm. Um, but also to make a distinction on the value of the ecology of the visual arts as well, because we're very different from that of a museum and one that has a collection. So, you know, the whole kind of ecology and what I'm really interested in currently is that trajectory of an artist coming out, out of out art school through to their practice and career and and potentially if they were to you know and be successful with a commercial um gallery how we can support that whole ecosystem and that infrastructure between and that means particularly thinking about the values of studios and the purpose of studios and um the development of them through to through to sector support organizations like hours where we provide professional development programs to you know question and think about your practice but also to understand how to make a funding application um how to kind of write about your practice in a way art writing to think about different forms of curatorial practice as well you know to really sort of unpick that for the sector um that you wouldn't necessarily and often as we are told get you know, that kind of um, demystifying as you, you get, you don't get it enough at art, art, art school and, mm. and a university. Yeah. So one of the things you're doing is taking um, stock of all the amazing work that's happening in the visual arts sector and uh, representing it in different forms so that people who are not involved in the arts can understand its value. Is that right? Yes. But not a general audience. So it's, a, yeah. it's, it's very much focused on um, 
so one example I give is that um so the so if it, the ministerial so in some countries they have a ministerial department yeah. in this in this country we have departments for in governments we have departments for um different you know different parts of our kind of um, society so education for instance we have a department for culture media and sport and that department um very much understands the value of museums so i have to kind of communicate the distinction between um a museum and an artist's led project and a studio or the Baltic in the north of England, which looks like a museum, but it's not. It's very much about commissioning artists and presenting contemporary art ideas to an audience. It's about creating curating exhibitions in a way to um, talk about, you know, things that are happening in the world, mm-hmm. which is very different from how a museum approaches. Um, they do approach approach that kind of exhibition practice but they often enough museums are known as as we know about educating people about different histories different perspectives um, from collections Um, so we're distinctively very different so I have to I have to advocate um, for that distinction just a, a, a couple lot, of quick, yeah. quick mm. questions on that. Mm. So one, which is how do you draw your statistics together yes, in order question. to represent them? And secondly, how do you represent your data gathering so that yes. people can understand the value of it and its impact? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, getting data is really difficult mm-hmm. um, and we don't have the right data um, in our sector. So the music industry being huge and it being very much commercial, they're able to, you know, to afford to get that data. Um, we as a sector don't have it. We have it in relation to audiences because that's the role of the Arts Council England and they they are very good at, you know, at, um, at, at data gathering in relation to the kind of public audience figures. But when it comes to knowing how many artists there are in this country or how many studios there are or what the workforce diversity looks like, no, we don't have that data. And that's the data that I really, 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 really want to gather. We talked to this amazing economist called Mariana Mazzucato. And Mariana Mazzucato is, is, is somebody that kind of, you know, believes in believes in kind of understanding the bigger picture, be able to to say what you know, to look at the data, to say what what you need, and she does that a lot with many governments around the world, and and she's really good at articulating and reimagining what value should be. So be it financial investment from a government as well. And one day, God, I wish, you know, I really hope we can work with her. Um, and I will send her this podcast because, you know, <laughs> I tease her into it. But she she gave a talk with um, Frances Morris, um, who's the former director of Tate Modern and um, gosh, an artist's uh, name. Sorry, I forget their name at the moment, which is terrible. Um, and that artist was talking about their background and where they'd come from and their work. And, and you know, Marianne Azzacato really got it. 
she really got the fact that there this artist was you know was transforming society this practice was about really questioning and opening up ideas um so for me that's that's what I that's that's I suppose how I approach it is I and and I and that's why I think we need to listen to artists more we need to really center their position and and listen to them a lot deeper in understanding what is needed mm. in the world you know um and that's for me where I come from I think as a curator now and and it it's in it's res- in response to what the public need as well I think mm. that's what artists are looking at they're looking at the world in you know through a really progressive lens that needs to be expanded and, and considered by you know many people mm. many people so the challenge that you have in your role, I, I would imagine, um, Correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine in terms of the Coventry Biennial that a lot of your ad- advocacy work also requires on this blend of quantitative and qualitative data, but also um, the arts has relied quite heavily on leaders and uh, passionate people to mm. be able to convey messaging. Mm. And so I'm curious, what ha- what skills have you had to draw on, Paula, in both mm. these roles mm. in order to leverage your influence and make an impact? I think the most important thing for me is, the, is actually being passionate. So I, I'm dyslexic and I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm an advocate for you know really really thinking about how we can as a sector support individuals from you know who you know from different all different kind of intersectional kind of backgrounds um and experiences but for me i have i lean on now a lot of that experience of um of working in really different contexts and having a 360 kind of view on a situation as well it's it's really really important for me to do that um what kind of experiences mm, yeah um as a curator working with different communities um understanding what those communities need um how to reflect them in 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 a institution or a place so for example I was the director of a Centre for Contemporary Arts in New Zealand in Christchurch. And the first thing I saw was I'd been to Christchurch. Um, God, this was actually just after the Iraq war. I really remember it very vividly. I've been to New Zealand Christchurch. And I remember it then being a really conservative place and physically conservative, the buildings, the, you know, and then you've got this, this beautiful landscape surrounding it. And, and, I moved there for three years to gain international experience in 2015 um, because I wanted a challenge. I wanted a personal challenge. I was going through some difficult, difficult, challenging, a personally difficult, challenging time. And I wanted to shift. I needed to shift. Um, And I remember, so it was post-earthquake and the Centre of Contemporary Art was about rebuilding you know, rising from the ashes um, and doing that with the city as the city was rebuilding itself. 
Um, and I applied for the job because I just thought, gosh, that's an incredible, amazing opportunity and how you could carve something incredibly interesting from actually starting from scratch, basically. It was a conservative um, art gallery. Um, it's sort of formally known as sort of quite artist-led in a similar vein to the Royal Academy sort of history mm. of Royal Academicians in, in that way. Um, and there was these pictures of, you know, these these men sat in their sort of salon-esque kind of, you know, studios and painting, and, you know, sort of easels and and you know these big exhibition rooms with you know men and and just looking at these pictures and then looking at this destroyed place and city and and remembering it from visiting and traveling there um you know 12 years uh, sorry how many years previously um and and yeah 12 years and thinking this still feels very conservative. So where is the the Maori? Where is the um, the iwi, the Natahu, the the community, the Pacifica artists? Where where's that community in this fabric of this place? So the first thing I set about doing was um, talking to Palmanu, which are a contemporary art collective, um, and that ended up being the last exhibition that was on the centre of contemporary art um, when I was there and they curated an exhibition of their work and and I'll go into that in a little bit more in a minute but the first thing that I did was to change the name well actually to make it bilingual mm. so bringing the the toy Maroki the the contemporary art the center of contemporary art into into the name of our um organization and the rebranding of it as well so that's just one aspect of of how we changed the the space but also through the space there were bilingual um uh the 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 spaces the ground floor was um a translation of of that interreo in 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 a in a bilingual way explaining what that space felt like not that it was the ground floor so it was really important to kind of the first exhibition I curated was called Precarious Balance. And then I translated the the text from English into um into Maori and then back into English again. So you had this kind of very much a phonetical way of describing the exhibition because Tereo describes words and places and in, in a different way from obviously this colonial language of English does. And we worked with this brilliant group called Claire Fontaine, who um, and I commissioned to um, do a piece that sat on the was on the outside, um, actually in the in the window of the gallery space. And this is a, you know, a, a, a kind of in it's a brutalist architecture. This design of this building it was absolutely stunning. It was it was it was really incredible, beautiful building. Um, and, you know, part of my job at the beginning was to renovate this building as well, which was insane. You know, I'm a, I was a curator and had never done a capital project in my life before. <laughs> it was an insane experience. Um, but on the front of the building, you had this stone, which is the, the green stone of, of um, the, the Māori green stone. 
And then you had also this Claire Fontaine piece, which um, uh, was about kind of welcoming people um, to the space, but it was translated into Toreo. And the welcome was actually an image of the white sails coming in to um, into into, you know, into the space, which is, you know, absurd kind of way of, you know, the translation, what that translation meant as well. So I'm getting a real sense, though, Mm. Paula, of across everything you're doing, that this idea of embedding yourself in the context or the place or the it's landscape really important. is important yeah. to you. Yeah. And also connecting to the people that are yeah. in that place. Yeah. And I'm also curious that you, as a director, you speak mm. of yourself as a curator still mm. too. Oh, absolutely. Always will do. Yeah. How how yeah. how does that inform the work that you do as a curator? Well, I or how yeah. does it being a curator inform the work you do as a director? <laughs> um because it's that passion of working with artists I love working with artists I'm I'm not a formal curator um I I I look at what artists work and I bring other artists images into conversation with them I don't bring language Mm. into it I bring visual because I'm because that's what my dyslexia is it's 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 about seeing things very visually Mm. So I experience work through kind of that interpretation in the same way that you might think about sort of visual language. I I look at it and I see I see other ideas. I see other kind of um, images or related images to that when I'm curating artist practice. Um, so for me, as as a curator, um, I think that experience that I lean on now is how I've worked with artists in the past and how I've commissioned them. And we've deeply got to know each other in, you know, in really sort of, you know, building relationships and those personal kind of connections in a way that um, you end up doing so much more for each other as well. Um, And I think that's a really kind of big passion of mine. Um, What do you think the differences Mm. would be between a non-curating director and a curating director? Yes, that's a good question. So I was talking to somebody about it the other day. There's this thing called arts administration that you have to learn to do if you want to become a director. Um, I enjoy it. I, I, I like, I am a lateral thinker and that's what my dyslexia allows me to kind of you know do is allows me to be able to think and hold you know many thoughts and ideas in in one moment and and be able to kind of see those things and be able to bring them together um so that helps with planning it helps with you know arts administration it helps with seeing the bigger picture so it it's always I'm always able to kind of hold that that sort of space and conversation um and bring and bring you know different perspectives into it as well and um so the difference is is that if you're a you know if you're a producer or an arts administrator you're very much um you know you're very much in in the sort of practical sides of it but because I studied as an artist um studied sculpture um and the way that I think about art is that I'm 
I suppose, thinking about art from how it's made and its purpose and its value. And so I bring a lot of that as a curator into my work as a director. Um, and I think they make the, for me, they make the best um, uh, directors of, 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 of institutions and galleries, those that who, who, who are and have been curators as well, who are passionately thinking about artists' work and looking at work continuously or um, seeing exhibitions as well. Um, it's it's difficult. It's hard. It's you know it's hard to manage both. It's it's hard to kind of still see a lot of work at the same time as well as kind of running an organisation or a business. You know, it's mm. it is really really difficult. Given that you you trained as an artist. You started and you've been a curator and you've been running and shaping organizations or networks, institutions. When you go to negotiate with, let's say, a politician, and let's call them a conservative politician, <laughs> and you're trying to influence them in some way, would you share with us the top line of how you would articulate artists and art as a value? A con- valuable contributor to society um yeah it's it is very interesting because I think I think it's 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 not that difficult to convince them because I think I think they are majority of ministers that I've met are very passionate about the arts and they believe in in the creative industries they believe in its in its value why do you think that's not reflected in their policy or funding pots that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That is the it's it is not a pri- it, it's not a priority. And many will say that you know why would you prioritise the arts over the NHS? Right. I mean, if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. That's the obvious kind of thing to kind of consider today. And half of me believes that, absolutely, um, because, you know, it. It, it, you know it can be seen as tree um and and also it relies heavily on the public subsidy but i've seen it transform people's lives i've seen individuals see it as an opportunity to um move 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 on in a in a situation that perhaps is constraining them in some ways um when I was in Plymouth as the curator of Plymouth Art Centre, we initiated this project called Take Apart. And I had no idea that it it would still be going now. 
and it was set up in, in 2006. And it's this amazing project that works with communities in deprived areas in, in, in Plymouth and is now national and internationally working internationally. Kim White, who um, is the director, is, is phenomenal. What the opportunity of commissioning artists in those artists in those places and those artists working with individuals, we've seen areas increase in in the opportunities that are there but change the kind of levels of deprivation as well, which is as in as in there's less deprivation because of the work that we've done. And that's if it's an artist going in just making a young people and that young person saying, thinking, okay, this is for me, I can do this. And then deciding the te- to take A-level, you know, um, art and then going on to do a degree I mean, there are many, many instances where that probably isn't that opportunity for that person or to think that that was an opportunity for them as a as a career or something that they wanted to do. Um, and it's a brave thing to do when you're coming from nothing, right? Yeah. To take art and to do art. Um, and it is, you know, it is, I've seen that, I've seen it happen. And I and I think if, if for me, standing next to a minister it's about finding that conversation that relationship of um of what they're interested in and sometimes you have similar interests as well um but also it's about challenging them as well um is it about challenging perhaps their perceptions of of contemporary art um and and its its value and we've made, I feel like we have made in three years an incredible, significant change where it is recognised. And, you know, the evidence for me is that we get invited to, to the conversation. We sit around the table. Um, what kinds of things, Evidence Paula? is being used. <laughs> what kinds of things? Um, mm, so, um, yeah. Uh, I got, I shouldn't, I'm not going to name names. I got to meet um, a minister and I got to tell them exactly what I thought of their approach of telling us as a sector to go and retrain during the pandemic. Mm. That was a really, I was nervous as hell. You know, I had to find every ounce of um, <laughs> I still myself to, 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 you know, to put that position forward. But at the end of the conversation, it was repeated back to me and it was repeated back in the room as something that was understood. Um, like, you know, does that, what change is that? Is it, but what, does it make any change? Um, who knows? But at least they listened mm. and it was said. Um, what other hmm. kinds of um, materials or tools as a network do you produce in mm. order to be non-reliant on personalities that you might mm. have to negotiate with. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did this brilliant campaign during the uh, sector, uh, during the pandemic, sorry, during the pandemic with the sector called Artists Essential, mm. where we got people to, in their homes, you know, do a placard of why they believe art is essential and that's got thousands of people um you know, on over a duration of a couple of weeks um just 
doing that on social media and sharing their thoughts on social media. That's a way that we galvanize. It's the way of coming together. Um, and for, for me to kind of prove the value in networks and working together on, you know, we're a big network. We're, we're you know, we have representation on our, you know, our, our kind of national network of people involved like Liverpool Biennial um, and uh, Modern Art Oxford. You know, we've got Spike Island and Bristol. We've got, you know, these all these amazing organisations so I work with Woodrow Kernahan and again, somebody I admire incredibly has this ability to see the world in a real 360 perspective and can can you know genuinely bring people into the conversation and doesn't alienate. He's the director of John Hansard Gallery. As part of my role is split and I I work on the Southwest region. And um the reason I did that, I moved back to Bristol after living in uh, in New Zealand. And I didn't want to jump into a, a director's role of a, of a space again. I I was pretty kind of, I was a bit exhausted. It was a full-on type, full job. Um, and I just wanted to get to know what was happening. Um, so joined the Arts Council as uh, for a temporary contract, which actually I loved. I loved seeing and working with colleagues who who really are passionate about um, their art forms. And there are so many incredibly passionate people who work there. I learned so much about um, different art forms as well. And, and, and that for me was a real kind of, you know, a, a change in my kind of approach to things. And from that, I, I, I thought, right, okay, so what am I going to do now with all of this experience? How can I really help the sector? So, with the CVAN, the national job, I also joined the Visual Arts Southwest. So I'm now I'm responsible for the Southwest region of the network. And we 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 provide a, a program that really is in, invested in individuals in that area. So it's really connecting a place that is geographically really difficult to, to connect and network around. And I suppose for me, um, I, I lean on a lot of my kind of experience in many different ways. So being the curator of Plymouth Arts Centre, I know and now understand as a curator being very much in an isolated rural, even it being an urban place, a rural um, region, what, you know, what, what it means to connect people and to expand their practice. Um, We've just been invited to um, join the London Gallery Week um, and work with them on London Gallery Week next year. Um, and a lot of what the conversations are about is how can we support, you know, curators to be more networked, to have those networks to the commercial gallery in London. So for me as a, you know, 29-year-old curator moving to, actually I was 28, I think, um, moving to Plymouth, it was really, really difficult. I'd lived in London. I'd made a great sort of connection with, with. oh gosh, no, I was younger. Sorry, how old was I? I was a lot younger. I was a lot younger. <laughs> oh, blimey, time has changed. Don't, don't um, worry. It oh, was a while ago. A while ago. It, it was yeah. a while ago. It was a while ago. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, having curatorial having networks, the, you think, would be really helpful. Networks. Yeah. yeah, we were a really solid network in the southwest, um, but not not nationally, and 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 not obviously connected enough into those sort of kind of London networks. And the art world has changed massively since then. Mm. It's so different. It's in what it, ways, Paula? It's. I mean, the commercial sector is huge. The the art world's commercial sector is unbelievably big i mean you know if anything can survive austerity um you know a pandemic and also recessions you know it's the art world it's phenomenal um i don't know sometimes i kind of question if that's a good thing um i often question if it's a good thing but you have to understand it and that's a lot what i would advise anyone thinking about their practice is that you 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 have to kind of find some relationship with it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's changed. It's changed the relationship of how exhibitions are made. Um, you know, often now, and I would like to see this more, is where commercial galleries can support the benefit of public art galleries, um, not for their own gains, but for the benefit of the artists that they're working with and, 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 and presenting the artists that they represent. Because how, so how would much that be, Paula, different to how it is now? So much more happens. You know, commercial galleries can pay for the the transport. Mm. They can they they can they can support with the expenses, um, which with public art gallery public in galleries and spaces are so stretched. I mean, unbelievably stretched, and especially um, those that don't have the patron kind of experience. I got a lot of experience about patron development in New Zealand and I really actually that was probably one of the most sort of interesting experiences in 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 learning how to work with patrons and what patronage meant and sponsorship um but <clears throat> that's quite common mm. it's common in a place where there isn't much art funding public art funding um, it feels very genuine. I don't have experience of America, but it feels very genuine in New Zealand. So mm. you, you get a lot of support in different ways. Um, it happens a lot in America. And I think yeah. perhaps the 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 converse side of that is that, as you said, um, and it is happening a lot more in the UK now where commercial galleries are paying for um, work to be commissioned by an institution to be shipped to be to pay for the dinner and I think one of the challenges is that we have to deal with this in art world is that actually there is a lot more wealth in those commercial galleries and they they wield a lot more influence as do the patrons of some of those institutions mm. so that question of who's who's influencing who and um mm call it nobody in the art world likes to admit there are fashions but there are fashions mm. and there are mm. trends and zeitgeist mm. and collectors and patrons also have their mm. um take on the fashion if you like mm. so in terms of who's pulling the strings i think there's a, an interesting di sort of dilemma in a sense in that public private balance mm. so i think you're you're 100 right in that we need to make friends with um, helping people to become more um, generous with their sharings um, to institutions generally. I guess I'm interested for our listeners in terms of what we can do 
to individually have more influence? How can we articulate our value in a way that's coming from a place of power rather than this kind of parent-child relationship that comes up for so many people that I speak to where we feel that we're on the back foot in relationship to somebody else who holds the power. Mm. I think it it really does come down to the value of the board and their ethics and, and, and how they support the organization. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the answer, but I've seen it where it works incredibly well. And if it's particularly well thought through in relation to how it's about that artist practice and how that work is then presented and not stored away and hidden for a period of time and it's getting represented and and has a place and then the, and there is a healthy relationship absolutely um and I suppose that's what where, where we're at isn't it the moment in this country is that sort of slight tipping point um especially given the situation in you know in in Gaza and Palestine and what's happening in in the art world at the moment which is pretty horrendous that's where it would put a hell of a lot of people off. Absolutely, absolutely mm. understand. So it, it comes down to the ethics. It comes down to the how those relationships are bridged in a way that can be really understood between the public and private and, and where um, your, your line in the sand is as, as, as a space and, mm. and, and your... Um, um, and what you will and what you won't do, um, which is really, really fundamental. So I'm going to give you a magic wand for 2024 mm. and you mm-hmm. can wave it and make <laughs> whatever you want happen through mm. your work and making change happen for the arts. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what are your three top things that you want to make change? Deeper listening. Mm-hmm. Deeper listening of um, from our sector an understanding of what is happening, particularly to um, to colleagues who are from a protected characteristic experience. Real deeper understanding. To have the hard conversations, to really have the hard conversations so we can make the change that's needed, not to hide away from those conversations. And to bring that humanitarian experience into our work not about it's not just about caring is it that word is bandished around um and I think it is an important word to reflect on but actually to feel that you are being cared for as well I'm a realistic I'm totally realistic about the world um and perhaps got experience about understanding where we are from the world and it's it's really different it's probably different from others we are in a situation, I believe, that there won't be much change. You know, what we need, what we need to see the change happen for some time. We're certainly at the moment, I think, predicting, thinking about five years time, then starting to make the ask of really what is needed then. Mm. So that's in the sense of public money, more public money. Mm-hmm. But even in five years time, that might not be possible. Mm. And I think this is fundamentally where we have a massive problem is that we've been in this position of austerity for such a long time that it is, 
you know, it's costing artists their practice. It's costing it, organizations their workforce. Um, and it is really, really difficult. But with that deeper listening and deeper understanding um, and taking our egos out of it, you know, it's so important to, to, to relinquish that kind of personality and to be really thinking about others in the situation and to be really able to listen, even if you don't agree with what that individual is saying, to have a conversation about it and to come out quite equally understanding that you might have influenced or influenced each other in, in somehow, in some way. So for those listeners um, who want to take action, who don't want to wait for things to happen or to change, what kinds of things could people do for to have influence in the world for themselves and to support somebody else? To stand up for what you believe in and to stand really strong in your feet in what you believe in and come together with your collective of, of art workers. And, and we, we advocate, so there's a lot about you know, making statements and there's a lot about kind of statements in relation to global situation in situations. And we totally advocate at the moment in relation to Palestine, being with those communities, being alongside them, listening and supporting in every way that you can. Um, be it, it might be your neighbour or, you know, the your local mosque or you know there's just so many different ways that we can now you know have absolutely a lot more respect for each other than 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 you know than has been needed before I worked with Marina Bramovich years ago on a big project in Plymouth and I commissioned her to make a festival we called it the pigs of today are the hams of tomorrow <laughs> such a great title <laughs> such a good title yeah. brilliant title you know it's interesting to see her now and it's been interesting to see her rise and rise through her career and from a from a, a real distance I don't know her anymore but from a real distance but to see what she's doing in London and and some people may think you know there's a cynicism in in the art world and I can probably see why they might think that about her practice but I believe in what she says I believe in you know this humanitarian spirit of coming together mm. it's needed more so now than ever um you know personally I'm really passionate and I'm quite vocal about what I think um in you know in my own sort of way and that comes into my work but it doesn't take over um because mm. I can't hold space for I'm not an activist I can't hold space in a political environment, if if I was to do that, um, it wouldn't get me anywhere. It wouldn't get us anywhere. Um, so hence, I kind of have to think very carefully about what is needed, um, and to and to and to also to help resolve those situations. For example, the other day I went to Bristol City Council's cabinet meeting about um, the cuts in funding, and. And first time I've ever done it in a cabinet council meeting was spoke spoke up for a need to think about different ways of approaching council um, funding and 
finding different resources and looking to a tourism levy, for instance, where that money could go back into the system, could go back into the council. There are ways that we, you know, in, in Christchurch, council set up a patron program. It was it's an amazing foundation now that that gets money from patrons to go back into charities. It's it's phenomenal. The council set it up. Um, there are different examples. So for me, it's about leaning and learning from all of that experience and bringing that in to finding the solutions now, really. So that's, that's taking your creativity and taking it into these different contexts and helping people to think more creatively about problem solving. Yeah, yeah. So where do you find your courage, Paula? <laughs> well, <laughs> such a good question. Um, I've learned to have courage. I've learned to bat things off. My dad said, you know, you have to have the skin and as thick as a, you know, a rhinoceros. I'm like, I don't know if I've got it. You know, when we were talking about this years ago, I don't know if I've if that's in me to be able to do that. I don't think I've built that thick skin because actually I am ethically very, very passionate and I feel things. I feel things very deeply. Um, And when things go wrong, I feel things really deeply and I have to change them within myself as well. And I have to rethink and I have to re-listen. And, you know, for two weeks, I, I spent listening day and night to history and looking at Palestine and what happened in Israel because I knew I really knew nothing. I I I knew nothing because our history books and our teaching and education doesn't tell us that. But why wasn't I talking about that with my you know my my partner said you know why weren't you talking about that with your friends at university? I was like yeah we weren't really thinking about those things then. He's Australian. He probably sees it from a totally different lens and seeing the world from being living on the you know west coast of Australia. You, you look at you look at the world differently I'd imagine the toughness comes from just keeping learning and thinking things through and I I often find it really difficult to switch off um Mm. and I go running and it's my way of sort of that meditation that really helps me shake those conversations off that I need to um because it is often about oh gosh I wish I hadn't said that or you know, we've got that to do tomorrow, you know, that's okay, right. So your brain is constantly sort of in this, in this, in this space and thinking. But I found ways like being dyslexic, I found find ways to kind of just draw maps to, um, to have those, you know, pinned up on my wall, or to have my sort of, you know, I hate this about myself, but I use those sticky notes. But, you know, sometimes really easy for me because I see that word and it reminds me that I need to do that so I'm you know I I find places to leave it there and and I've been thinking and and I'm so connected to the outdoors and the landscape and I find a lot of, of I read a lot about landscapes as well um and I find more that I that. I've read about how being next to nature and in nature kind of helps with your psychology and that plants give off a a kind of um, chemical that you absorb. And and I feel it, you know, Mm. I feel it. As soon as I walk into that space, I'm like, 
you know yeah it's gone um you know I do do yoga I try it but I'm not very good at it and sometimes my brain can't switch off <laughs> I I feel you but um, am I am I right in thinking that we're both fellow little sims fans yes <laughs> <laughs> speaking oh of switching off in a completely different way yeah. to yoga yeah, yeah. I, I get this sense of your your own creativity really driving you, Paula, mm. and not only a deep, compassionate respect for artists in all their levels, but also this desire to use your thoughts and will to change places and people. So mm. I respect the fact that you you know yourself well enough to know that actually it is challenging at times and you need mm. these other things to help you. And it's something that I do a lot in my work with, with artists and arts professionals is to look at what strategies are going to serve them, mm. but also to really connect with their own vision and values, which you're clearly embodying that. But I'm wondering, what does personal success look like for you in the year ahead? What would you really like to to see happen and feel really like if you were to call me up in a year's time and say, hey, Gary, you'll never guess what I've achieved. (laughs) And I would be punching the air with glee. What would it be? So my big achievement for next year is that I want to create this job within the Contemporary Visual Arts Network for a director of a fair and equitable programme. And somebody who can lead a national program on really um, deep, delving deep into the lived experience, um, particularly in relation to um, a program that tackles, you know, it really is invested in looking at anti-racism and anti-ableist approaches. Um, that would be, if I can do that next year, I've got part way t- towards it. Um, but if I could find and hopefully we'll find the resources to be able to enable that person in, in, in the next year, I know who they are. I know who I want to work with. Um, I know somebody who's just inc- incredibly magical and, and passionate about about it as well. And that that is able to listen to do that deep listening that is needed um and that we work incredibly well together they'll probably listen to this and know that it's them um (laughs) and if that that for me would be an incredible success and an amazing success or on a personal level um going to Glastonbury this summer oh fantastic yeah that's in the bag in the bag, in the bag. That's well, great. I hope it's in the bag. My friend, friend Rona, hopefully she's got us tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend, Cheryl, who gets me my tickets too because I'm rubbish at it. But, <laughs> <laughs> so as a parting gift to mm. our fellows, how can, how can people firstly help themselves if they're in the creative industries? What would your bit of advice be to them? What should they keep doing or do more of? Finding your community. You'll find on our resources on CVAN Network a list of um, networks and um, communities that you can you can connect into. And that could be from, you know, just even becoming a member of the brilliant, you know, AN, which is an incredible membership for artists learning about, you know, opportunities. And that's one way. But more about connecting into your you know other communities um 
like you know migrants and culture are an amazing group and collective and I really recommend you looking at their work and joining their sessions and their talks um mosaics rooms as well as you know those that are really holding that space arts catalyst they're doing some great work in this field at the moment really holding that space for people um you know to be together as well um finding your communities and 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 talking and being really open and 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 listening to each other is really really important and i'd say that to leaders of arts organizations as well like start really coming together start you know breaking down those 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 boundaries hold those conversations in those gallery spaces that are needed you know really really take the time um because new things new opportunities ideas really come out of it and for me that's what's the pattern you know I'm so passionate about this network that I've been involved with actually this network since I was a curator in Plymouth like it's you know it it's one of those networks that's really sustained me and now I'm the director of it so um yeah find 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 those conversations where you feel you can learn more but also be a part of as well and where could people find out more about your work, Paula? What's your web address, socials? Yeah, so we're, um, our uh, web address um, is cvan.art and we are on Instagram, um, Contemporary Visual Arts Network. Uh, we don't use Twitter that much. It's not a space that we want to occupy, but we're on Instagram at least. We've got this great newsletter that goes out monthly um, each region has a newsletter that goes out monthly as well. So you can connect into if you live in England or just interested in networks in generally, we're getting a lot of international connections coming through at the moment, which is so interesting. People really interested in how you do advocacy work and um and you know and build networks together. Um so join our newsletter, it's on our website. So that is yeah, www.cvan.art. Thank you so much, Paula. And thank you for joining us and for all the extraordinary work that you do. It's such a delight to be with you today. Thank you, Kerry. I've loved it. I love that Paula knows firsthand the difference that artists make to people, place and society, and that she's so determined to make the arts more equitable. I also respect that she speaks so openly about how she manages her own mindset, health and lack of knowledge. She's not afraid to admit what she doesn't know and wants to work with people who are prepared to fully be themselves at work so they can work together in developing a city, region and country's cultural infrastructure. I don't know about you, but I think this is exactly the kind of leadership that we all need in the arts right now. And don't forget, if you're an artist working in the UK, do take up Paula's invitation and apply to become a member of the Board of Trustees of Contemporary Visual Arts Network. You could well help them shape an incredibly influential network. And we know how important your contribution is to our communities. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time. Thank you.